We'll begin reading in chapter 27. And we're going to read two chapters worth, 27 and 28, this morning. And I'll be reading out the New King James Version, as is my custom. God's word declares, In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word of Jeremiah came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord to me, Make for yourselves bonds and yokes, and put them on your neck. And send them to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the Ammonites, the king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon, by the hand of the messengers who come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. And command them to say to their masters, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to your masters, I have made the earth, the man, and the beasts that are on the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and have given it to whom it seemed proper to me. And now I have given all these lands into the Ham Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beasts of the field I have also given to him to serve him. To all nations, so all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son, until the time of his land comes, and then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. And it shall be, that the nation and kingdom which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation I will punish, says the Lord. With the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. Therefore do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, or your sorcerers who speak to you, saying you shall not serve the king of Babylon. For they prophesy a lie to you to remove you far from your land, and I will drive you out, and you will perish. But the nations that bring their necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let them remain in their own land, says the Lord, and they shall till it and dwell in it. I also spoke to Zedekiah, king of Judah, according to all these words, saying, Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. Why will you die, you and your people, by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence? The Lord has spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon. Therefore, do not listen to the words of the prophets who speak to you, saying you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. For I have not sent them, says the Lord. Yet they prophesy a lie in my name, that I may drive you out, and that you may perish, you and the prophets who prophesy to you. Also, I spoke to the priests and to all his people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Do not listen to the words of your prophets who prophesy to you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should this city be laid waste? But if they are prophets, and if the word of the Lord is with them, let them now make intercession to the Lord of hosts that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord in the house of the king of Judah and at Jerusalem do not go to Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars, concerning the sea, concerning the carts, and concerning the remainder of the vessels that remain in the city. With Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, did not take when he carried away captive Je- Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from Jerusalem to Babylon and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Yes, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord, 
and in the house of the king of Judah and of Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon, and there they shall be until the day that I visit them, says the Lord. Then I will bring them up and restore them to this place. And it happened in the same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year and in the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet, who was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the king of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and in the presence of the, all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. The Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. I have given the, him the beasts of the field also. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Well, if you have not been coming to our Sunday night series, um, you might be in for a little bit of a shake to your foundations a little bit this morning, uh, because we're going to start right off with a uh, very... Carefully done correction um, for your first verse of chapter 27. I don't know if you were listening carefully as I read it and caught it right away. Some of you go, wait a minute, he read a different word than what we have, uh, technically a different name. Uh, but uh, we're going to start off right there and address that so we can move on into what is the substance of 27 and 28. And uh, the difficulty is the timing, of course, and in uh, chapter 27, verse 1, we are told that it is the beginning of the reign of, um, instead of Zedekiah, we have Jehoiakim, 
but it is obvious from the context of the balance of the chapter that this was all given to Zedekiah. Uh, and in fact, that Jehoiakim had been off the scene. His son is in Babylon, and Zedekiah is the king of the land. So um, please, if you're willing to do this, um, if you're not, that's okay. It's not going to be the end of your world or anything. Um, please correct that. It should be in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, not Jehoiakim. And yes, Zedekiah is also the son of Josiah. They were brothers. And remember that uh, uh, Babylon replaced uh, Jehoiakim's son with his uncle, and, or with his son's uncle, so his brother. And so it should have been Zedekiah here. Um, interesting, in the Septuagint, they just leave verse 1 out altogether. <laughs> it's just, it's not there. And so in the Septuagint, this would be Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 2, um, is where, or verse 1 is actually verse 2 of chapter 27 here. They rearrange the chapter orders a little bit there as well. Um, and in uh, the Syriac and many other uh, non Masoretic texts, they do include Zedekiah. So, um, just this is out of the Masoretic, and that's where the problem was introduced, was there around 1000 AD. So, um, just recognize that. So, we're dealing with a period of time involving the reign of Zedekiah. Um, so, we are well into it, which means the Babylon has already shown up a couple of times. If this was the reign of Jehoiakim, Babylon has, hasn't been on the scene yet. Um, under Jehoiakim, there was that first warning of Jeremiah, uh, and so now it is quite a bit later, and we have before us yet another king of, of Jerusalem, of, of Judah, that is ready to rebel against uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and here we have uh, Jeremiah's continuing ministry to prevent that from happening and to try to save his people from making a, the error for the third time, and it will be the last. But uh, this is the period of time that we're at. So with that correction being noted, um, let's go, Lord, in prayer, and we will um, get into the, the text before us. Lord God, we do thank you for your word before us. We thank you for its power and truth. We pray now as we look into it that our hearts might be open to it, that we might be responsive to receive it with the authority that it carries. And Lord, we do pray that we might uh, recognize that the warnings and the descriptions and the instruction here was not just for one generation of your people, but for all generations, that while our circumstances are certainly uh, different, with different nations and kings and reigns, um, that we still know that you are involved among the nations, that you're still doing your work and you still call us to trust in you in this respect, and we pray you might help us to do so as a result of this study as well. And Lord, we also know from your word that false teachers, that false prophets will be prevalent throughout your church age, and particularly in the end of this age. And Lord, our prayer again is that we might look to your word and find the wisdom to be able to discern. And having discerned your truth, that we might be ready to uh, stand fast in it, immovable, um, and yet always surrendered to you. And again, Lord, as always, we pray your 
hand of guardianship over this time by your spirit in what is spoken and what is heard that it might be um, according to your word of truth. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come into the main thrust of the passage and God has now given Jeremiah an object lesson for that generation. Apparently, just words aren't always enough, and it's uh, and, and I would agree. Um, and so we have an object lesson given by God to Jeremiah. He's to go take a yoke and fit it to himself. He is to then carry a yoke that is typically used for oxen and beasts of burden, um, but also used for slaves, and so that would be carried off. And so he carries this yoke upon him uh, and, and binding him to the will of others, uh, so that he can demonstrate before the uh, people of this reign, the king, the priests, the people, that this is God's plan. That God's plan is to bring all nations within the reach of Babylon into the control of Babylon. That they are there to serve him. And once again, we find a very powerful declaration by God, one of the uh, outside of the kings of early kings of Israel, some of those powerful declarations of God about a king um, land on the shoulders of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he is called the Anointed One. He is, and and here we are seeing the the extent of God's plan for him. And so when we get to Daniel, we see the vision of of the the nations given to Nebuchadnezzar as well as to Daniel. We find the head of gold. This is a, a uh, not only the top and the start of this, but also the richest of them. And as we work down through that, we find the, the um, diminishing value of what is used to describe the other nations. And so, in many respects, Nebuchadnezzar becomes the uh, Gentile example par excellence. So this is the best one for us to really see how God works among the nations. And what makes him the best is, is because of this, these kinds of passages to draw out the fact that God is not only working in the nation of Israel and her borders and among her people, but among all people. And certainly Nebuchadnezzar isn't isolated. Um, we saw in our study of Genesis the effect of Joseph on the Pharaoh there and that his recognition of the God of Joseph as the one true and living God, and we're going to see that in Nebuchadnezzar's life down the road. But even before he has that engagement, we already have God using some very powerful images for him and promises spoken about him. And of course, by this time of Zedekiah, it is, it is most likely that Daniel and uh, his friends that we're familiar with out of the book of Daniel are already in Babylon. Uh, so they're not in the land any longer from what we can tell, and so there, may, there already has been some engagement here um, in all likelihood, although there hasn't been a lot of time permitted for that to happen um, because of the brevity of the uh, reigns of these men and how quickly they went into rebellion against their overlord, uh, their king, if you will, of Babylon. And so... Here God is going to say, it's not just Israel that's going to serve you. I'm not just using him to judge you. 
um, he's going to be over all these nations. And not only the nations, but all the animal kingdom too. Everything in his realm is going to be drawn to serve him by my decree. Can you imagine God decreeing that all the animals serve you? That uh, I wish he would do that over some of my chickens who would just need to lay more eggs so they would serve me better. But um, this is God's decree. All the animals, all the nations, all the people, you need to serve this. This is my man. This is for this period of time. And I'm even going to stipulate that it's going to be three generations. It's going to be him, his son, his son's son, that during their reigns, no one should rebel against them whatsoever. No one should. No animal, no man, no nation, no king, no one. Just surrender. Just let him reign. And as long as you let him reign over you, as long as you're willing to subjugate yourself to his reign, uh, it'll go well with you. And this is the promise of God uh, to Judah. If you will just submit, you could stay in your land. Um, your temple would stay intact. Your land could be tilled. You can live there. You can worship here. All you have to do is surrender to my authority to place him in authority over you. And that's really the extent of the message of the yokes, that this is a yoke that Jeremiah is carrying. And by the way, Jeremiah is now going to be sent to a lot of different nations, and there's a long list here, relatively speaking. And he, this isn't just for Judah. It says, I want you to go to a, all these regional nations and tell them all uh, Put your neck under here. And they listed there in verse 3, the king of Edom, king of Moab, and the king of the Ammonites. And that region, of course, is uh, always grouped together. Um, Those are all on the other side of the Jordan River. And so you'll find those three, Edom, Moab, and and the Ammonites together. And that's uh, modern-day Jordan. Um, And they still represent themselves as that. They include Gilead, but the rest of it is Gilead, um, Ammon, Edom, and Moab, or Moab and Edom is how they produce it. So they start from the north to the south. And so go to the other side of the Jordan, tell them Nebuchadnezzar's heading down here, just submit. He's already headed, he's already been there. Just surrender. Don't try to spark up and stir up rebellion. That is not the way of things. When I'm done with this king, I can take care of him. I don't need your help. Just surrender to him and recognize that, that uh, and it's fascinating that God is concerned about nations like Tyre and Sidon which, and, and uh, the coastal areas of, of Philistia and that region uh, all the way down into Egypt. And, and God is concerned about this whole region and he sends a messenger, a prophet to them to tell them, submit. Submit to Babylon. Surrender. Give in to them. He's the one I've put in place. Yes, he's a Gentile. Yes, he's, he's powerful and, and as any king with great power does, what do they do? They exert it. Sometimes very violently, sometimes harshly, but they exert their power. Why not? They have it. The Bible says that the king doesn't have a sword for no reason. He uses it. 
And so there isn't going to be a committee on human rights to oversee him because God has given him all the nations, all the people, all the animals. Recognize it. God's purposes are not just for Judah. God's purposes are for for Moab, Ammon, uh, Edom, Tyre, Sidon. He has purposes for all of these. And so he sends messengers to them as well as to Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and says, all of you uh, need to surrender. Just serve him. Don't complain. Don't be embittered. Don't be discontent. Just recognize God is doing something, and that something we need to acknowledge. It may not be what we like. It may not be enjoyable. Um, It may not be what we think he should be doing, But God is at work, and he is at work not in your king, Zedekiah, who is an assigned king by Nebuchadnezzar himself, but um, he's working through that king. That heathen king is the one God is using to do his purposes in this region. And, of course, we have a whole realm of teaching we can draw out of this in terms of our relationship with government and with other governments. Um, And yes, when a government is strong enough to overthrow another one, um, our first response is to resist, to come to to, uh, fight that and to see that as a negative, but we find that God uses that um, in many instances to accomplish his purposes for the nations and It is how he raises up and how he tears down. We just don't like it because we've been ingrained in our idea of national sovereignty, of self-governing, and that um, we should be able to choose who reigns over us. And God says differently. And so now you deal with the conflict that it creates in your mind and in your um, culture of whether it's up to us to choose a leader over us or if it's up to God to choose a leader over us. And here, the nation of Judah decided it was up to them. They were warned. It's up to God to choose the leadership over your nation and the nations. It is in his realm of authority and power and he reserves it for himself. He, has, he does that consistently throughout God's word. And now he has come with a very specific message that if you don't accept the general statement of God, at least that now God will come down and very specifically say, do not raise yourself up against this king. Because if you do so, you're raising yourself up against me. And when we begin to think in those kinds of terms, we begin to understand why rebellion against government is rebellion against God. And that goes true for any age of man and under any kind of government. It doesn't matter. And there is no heinous form of government that that does not uh, apply. And so whether you're in a communist government, a dictatorship, uh, an oligarchy, whether in any kind of government, we, we see that we are not called to be rebellious against it, but to rather uh, to allow God to either punish it or establish it according to his pleasure, not according to my pleasure. 
And the fact is, is that we have been ingrained with the concept that we choose our government based upon what pleases us. And seldom, if ever, do I find in God's word, um, and really never do, do, do men choose wisely for themselves a right government. Which kind of throws the whole democracy thing out the window. But we find this prophet sent out. Here's a yoke. Show it to everybody, tell them, just wear it. Just accept the yoke. Accept this as the working of God to accomplish his purposes beyond your understanding, beyond your, your personal comfort, beyond the um, pride that you carry as we are Israel, we are Judah, we have the temple of God in our city. Um, beyond all of that arrogance comes this expectation, serve the king I've raised up even though it's not the king you want to acknowledge as your king. And I've had people do this and, and uh, encounter it where I will not serve that. I will not serve him. I will not serve her. And it doesn't, because it's not the person they wanted to get elected or whatever. I'm not going to serve. And at some point, we need to recognize that kind of rebellion is a declaration of a rebellion against God. And so this generation had this direct declaration with a warning. And here's the side warning. You're going to hear other people say something different. In fact, you're going to have lots of people say different. They're going to tell you that who knows better what your country needs than you do. You're going to hear people that are going to say um, that, well, that's only for a short period and, uh, and, and certainly our national pride will raise itself up and we can deliver ourselves from the king of Babylon. And he warned them. He says, these are all lies. I wouldn't tell you that. Uh, I'm not telling you. And so there's a warning. You will hear other people say differently. But they are not telling the truth. They are not sent by me. They are not giving you the principles of God's word. They are telling you things you want to hear. They will stroke your personal ego, your national ego, and they will tell you all of this, and you'll say, yes, we are a great people, and you will fall for their lies. And God says, I have a reason. And this is a very powerful portion of Scripture tied into last week's study in chapter 26. And that comes down, brings us down really to the end of the, or around chapter, verse 17 of chapter 27 of Jeremiah. It says, Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon. Live. Why should this city be laid waste? But if they are prophets, and if the word of the Lord is with them, let them now make intercession to the Lord of hosts that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord and the house of the king of Judah and at Babylon do not go to Babylon. If they really want to pray, pray and prophesy that it doesn't get worse. But they're not going to. Though they have been warned over and over again from verse um, 9, following, don't listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, your sorcerers, um, and, and let's just put the modern imagery, don't t listen to the talking heads, 
Uh, you shall not serve the king of Babylon. Just don't listen to that. It's not of, my, of me. And it, they're going to stir up rebellion among you. What the prophets should be telling you to do is to agree with the, with the uh, message of the Lord so that you can remain where you're at. And instead of sitting there and saying, well, we've lost some of the articles of the temple and we want to get those back, you should start thinking more carefully about what's left behind. Instead of always looking at what you're missing, isn't it time we start looking at what we still have? Is essentially what he's saying. Why don't your prophets, why don't your preachers start, instead of saying about all the things that are lost, that you lost because of your rebellion, because you're out there worshiping the mother of harlots because you're out there worshiping Baal, because you're worshiping the moon, because you're sacrificing your children. You brought all this. You've lost all of that already. Now, isn't it time for your preachers to start talking about, let's preserve what we have left? But no. That's not what they're going to do. They're going to persuade the people that you know better than God that judgment for heinous sin is brief and comfortable. That it shouldn't cost you much. And that uh, you can decide when it's over instead of God. You can decide how much punishment is sufficient for your sin. And once you've already accepted the philosophy of self-government, once you've already accepted that ideology, it is a simple thing then to go to God and say, well, I can decide what's best in this respect and in this respect. And we can go run, run right down, and pretty soon we have totally displaced God from our thinking, from our culture, from our living, and we are making all the decisions independently and aggressively often in opposition to what God would have us do. And so the people, instead of thinking about what they have left, are enticed to rebellion, thinking that somehow by rebellion they'll get back what they've lost. But God has a different plan. And this is what we need to recognize. So let's look at the end of chapter 27 before we get into the specifics of chapter 28. It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, concerning the pillars, concerning the sea, concerning the carts, concerning the remainder of the vessels that remain in this city, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, did not take, when he carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from Jerusalem to Babylon, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. And so that's why we would assume that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are all off into Babylon. They were carried away that time. Here's what it says. Yes, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord, in the house of Jude, the king of Judah and of Jerusalem, they shall be carried to Babylon. And there they shall be until the day that I visit them, says the Lord. Then I will bring them up and restore them to this place. He reserves that timing for himself. And his declaration here, because he already has an understanding of the condition of the heart of Zedekiah, of the prophets and priests and the people, uh, we, already know the, we already know the condition of their heart based upon the last chapter, right? Last chapter, what was going on? Z Jeremiah says bad things are going to happen to him. This was two kings ago. 
bad things are going to happen, you need to repent, and, and this city's going to be destroyed, and they're going to kill the prophet instead of listen to his message. He narrowly avoids that by being rescued by some of the princes of, of Judah who come down and, uh, and convene a court to uh, hear the case and, and conclude that he has done nothing deserving of death, and we should be more like Hezekiah and listen to this guy instead of rejecting him. So the spirit of the age has been well established, particularly among the prophets and priests of Israel, and we find them in full-blown rebellion, contradicting every prophet of God that was sent, and refusing to hear them, wanting to shut them up. I'm not going to listen. We are not going to hear you. We're not going to give you an audience. Here comes Jeremiah once again, a couple of kings later, which isn't very long a time, really. Don't think of it as generations, um, more like a few months or years. Um, and here comes Jeremiah, and so God already anticipates that they're going to be rebellious. He wants them, as we saw last week, to listen. He wants them to repent. He desperately wants everyone to humble themselves before him. That's why he sends Jeremiah to them. But he has already seen years and years and years of stubborn rebellion. And so he is anticipating their continued rebellion. And in verse 22, it says, the rest of what you have is going to be lost. Because you won't listen to the prophet that is sent. You are sure that you know better. You trust in your own judgment more than my declaration of truth. And this is the condition of man today. We stand in the same place as the priests, prophets, people, and the king Zedekiah, as they did in that day, that we trust in our own interests, in our own capacities, in our own belief structures. Whether we have any basis in them or not, we trust in them. We trust in ourselves and our own ability to make decisions, our own ability to prioritize things in our life, our own abilities to decide who is and isn't lying to us. And this is the point we want to make this morning. Is are you capable of discerning the truth from a lie? Are you capable of discerning a truth from a lie? And that's what's going to be brought out. The truth is handed out. God has declared it. It comes first with a warning that people are going to tell you something different. Don't listen to them. Listen to the truth. The truth came early. Now you're going to have to weigh it. And we come into chapter 28 with this exact scenario coming forward. Same period of time. Zedekiah, by the way, chapter 28, verse 1, again reaffirms to us that this is tied to verse 20, chapter 27, which is why Zedekiah was the king then as he is a little bit later on. The same year. The beginning of the reign of Zedekiah king in the fourth year, in the fifth month, that's towards the beginning of his reign, Hananiah, the son of Azra, the prophet, was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people. And so we have a confrontation between two prophets, face to face, in the house of the Lord, in front of all the congregation. Wouldn't you love to have a service like that? Wouldn't that just be kind of fun? I'll invite some, some liberal pastor to come in, and we'll just have a little preach at each other's service, and you can watch. But here comes Hananiah, 
Jeremiah, remember, Jeremiah's in the temple. What does he look like? He's wearing a yoke, people. Okay, he looks like this. Okay, he's wearing a yoke. The guy's walking around the temple wearing a yoke. That's the conservative guy. That's the guy the word of the Lord came to. You would call him nuts. You would. He's walking around the yoke. You go, I can't believe that's my pastor. Okay, kind of like my son last, I can't believe that's my dad. I can't believe he said that to my friends. Um, you would say he's the nuts one. Here comes Hananiah. He's got all the credentials, right? He's the son of and the son of and, and from the proper region. He walks in the place and he comes to the nutcase that's wearing a yoke on his head and, and giving us the gloom and doom thing. And here's what he has to say. It says, well, the Lord of hosts talked to me. And here's what, I, what he told me. He told me that he's going to break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, he's going to break that yoke and everything's going to be restored. All the people are coming back. We're going to get uh, Zedekiah's nephew back to be our king. Um, all the articles of the temple are coming back. And that, that's, that's going to last less than two years or two full years. Within two full years. So mark your calendar. Zing, here we go. Two years from now, it'll all be restored by then. It might happen in phases, but by then, everything will be back to normal. And, and Nebuchadnezzar will be broken. That yoke will be broken. And so now we have a confrontation. We have one man who's saying, you're going to lose more if you don't submit. We have another guy saying, you don't have to submit because God has decided to break the yoke in a very short amount of time. Now remember, Jeremiah's message was it's going to be Nebuchadnezzar, his son, and his grandson. Three generations before I break them. Here comes Hananiah to say, two years max. <laughs> two years max and everything will be back. Don't give this Nebuchadnezzar guy a second thought. Two years, I'll give him two years maximum. <laughs> And here we go. Confrontation. Boy, that Americans hate confrontation, don't you? And when I was a camp speaker once, I had pre-planned to have one of the assistant, one of the youth pastors that was there with his group to stand up and contradict me in the middle of my sermon. You have never heard 200 7th and 8th graders be so quiet. When he stood up and says, I don't agree with you. They were frozen. They didn't blink. They didn't breathe. Nothing. They just, are you allowed to do that? We don't think confrontation is appropriate. It's not politically correct, that's for sure. And so here's a confrontation. And Jeremiah says, well, amen to that. That's great news. Very sarcastically by the way. How do I know it's sarcastic? Um, because of what he says right afterwards. Because after saying amen, I hope that that's true because that's good news. If, if, if God gave you a message that Nebuchadnezzar is done for unless in two years max uh, and everyone's coming back, that's super duper. Um, yeah, we all love to hear that message, uh, but let's just temper this excitement a little bit for a second and let's think about some things. And here's what um, the prophet Jeremiah wants them to think about in verse 7. Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and the hearing of all the people. 
The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. What is he just saying? The primary responsibility of a prophet throughout history of God's working with man had a single objective. And that objective was to bring sinners to repentance. It was never to come in and make them feel good about themselves. Even Balaam, who had the encounter with the donkey, remember the hired prophet that was sent to curse Israel? Even he gave the guy that was paying him bad news. <laughs> by blessing Israel in opposition to this king because the king was in rebellion. The prophets come with a message, repent, or judgment will come. I know it's not popular. I know it's not really my top ten things I want to hear every day. I'm pretty sure that, that we get kind of tired of hearing it. But Jeremiah reminds them that the prophets come and they threaten God's judgment and it's because people need to repent of their sin and that's why God sends them, to deliver them from their sin. And that goes not only for the prophets of Israel and Judah, but also the prophets to the nations. And Jonah, of course, is our big illustration. And he's not the only one of the minor prophets that went to the nations, but he was the successful one. Uh, and he went and what did he say? You got a little bit of time, and then God's going to destroy your city, Nineveh. And they all repent. But notice what he came with a message. was His message was, God is just ready to receive you because he loves you so much. Is that what he preached? He walked to that city with a big smile on his face. And said, God's going to wipe you out. Just a little while longer, God's going to destroy this city, and everybody in it, all your critters, everything, he's going to wipe you out. And then the Horrific thing happened from Jonah's perspective. The king heard it, and he made everybody fast. Everybody put on sackcloth. Everybody mourn. Even the critters weren't allowed to eat. Praying to God forgiveness and asking for his mercy. So even Jonah's message was, quote-unquote, a negative one. And so Jeremiah says, you know, every prophet comes over and has to deal with the sin of people. That's our primary objective, is to get people to repent. And, and he's going through, and he's, you can just imagine him calculating this. Now, all of my predecessors, all of your predecessors, and we go through church history, what has been the message of the church? The most powerful message that we bring still to this day, we are ministers of the gospel, which is good news, but we... we Bring good news in this platform of you are dirty, rotten sinners and you deserve judgment. You're going to get it unless you repent. But if you repent, trust in Christ as your Savior, God will save you. But the prophets always started off by recognizing there is a judgment because of your sin and it requires your repentance and God will forgive. There it is. Same message we carry. But what have we done to that message? 
We're more like Hananiah than we are like Jeremiah, aren't we? We want to reverse it and say, you know, God loves you so much, and he wants to bless you so much, and, and you just got to open your heart up and let him bless you. And they'll find 700 different ways to say that exact same message. And it's all upside down. Because none of it requires you to repent. And none of it causes you to recognize that you are guilty and that God is judge and that he is capable and ready to execute judgment on a level and a scale that we can't even comprehend and that we would consider unjust because we don't understand how holy he is. And so we have around us today the same choices. You have the Hananiahs and the Jeremiahs, the ones that will come and say consistently and point at sin and say, repent, 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 then God will bless you, and if you don't, expect judgment, accept, accept the consequences, and, and once those consequences are placed upon you, then please repent so it doesn't get worse. Don't expect the consequences to go away. Preaching you hear from here quite frequently, hopefully all the time. The other side says, oh, you know, God is just itching to bless us all. And uh, once he figures it all out, he'll just, you guys just got to accept that blessing and then uh, you'll just be blessed on top of blessing in every different category of life and and you just got to let him do it. We have it today. And so Jeremiah's confrontation with Hananiah is, you know, that preaching never saved anyone. And that preaching was not what the early church did. That preaching is not in the book of Acts. Find it. Find that sermon in the book of Acts. From Peter, from Paul, anywhere. Find it. I challenge you, find that sermon in the church age outside of those that reject the gospel. False teachers. And that's what Jeremiah did. He says, um, I think all the prophets dealt with sin and they all came with a message that says that there's going to be uh, war and disaster and pestilence if you don't repent. Now you come along and you get to be a prophet of peace. And when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. He says, well, we kind of have to wait for something and that is we have to wait for what you say to come true because it's so unusual So let's just, I guess we're going to have to wait. And this is one of the means by which God enables us to discern the truth from a lie. And so we could wait two years, and and Hananiah accepts that. After all, now he's got a two-year pass um, for himself to, um, for everything to come to fruition, and so he can be the prophet of the day for two years and uh, so he takes the yoke off of Jeremiah, breaks it in front of everyone, and uh, there's joy all over the place, and um, prophet Jeremiah goes home and says, well, let's hope that guy is right, and Jeremiah goes home. But on the way home, something happens. God encounters him. It says, verse 12, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after all of that, 
And here's what he says in verse 13. Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but have made in their place yokes of iron. You have made it more sure. And now, instead of a willing, willingly wearing a yoke, now the idea of a yoke of iron is one that he is going to come and break your will. This is why Jesus, when he comes to earth, not for the rapture, but for the millennial kingdom, how does he come? He comes with a rod of iron. What does that mean? It means that people aren't willing to submit to him, but are forced to submit to him. So if you think the thousand-year kingdom, um, everybody is happy, 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 that's really not the case. A lot of people will be unhappy during the thousand-year reign of Christ where a baby, you're considered a baby if you die at 100. Um, and, and lions lay down lambs and the earth creates its abundance. You think, well, with all that, everybody's going to be wonderfully happy. No, they're all going to be, <clears throat> because they're going to be forced to serve God, Jesus Christ. He's going to come with a rod of iron. Well, here is a yoke of iron, and God says, since you won't willingly accept a yoke of wood that you can operate under, that you have some measure of latitude that you can submit to, and then I am going to break your will by replacing it with a yoke of iron that is unbreakable. And I'm going to bring Nebuchadnezzar down here again, and you are going to serve him, and you're going to serve him harshly. You had an opportunity to serve him in your land with your temple intact and to do so largely unaffected by it, but you didn't want it that way. You thought you knew better. You want to listen to the guys like Hananiah and do it your way because you like that message. It sounds great. It sounds peaceful. It sounds wonderful. It's dreams are made of. Make a Disney movie out of it. And here comes God and says, I'm breaking you. We're going to break your will by breaking you. You're going to serve under a rod, a yoke of iron. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to impose it upon you, and I'm going to empower him to do it. So now we have two very different plans, two very different perspectives. But I want you to notice something. Both of them said this. Thus says the Lord. Both of them start off their messages the same way. Thus says the Lord. They both claimed divine origin for what they're about to tell you. They both had their proof texts out of God's word. And the fact is, is that our false teachers of this day are very capable of using their Bibles. And I got to tell you, Christians in sin are very capable of using their Bibles to rationalize their sin. I was going to say justify, but that wouldn't be the right word. They're very capable of using their Bible, and it's incredible for how capable they become. And certain texts particularly, don't judge me, things like that, um, passages along that line. Uh, and it's incredible that every drunkard knows that Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake, Every single one of them know these verses to justify their own acts. So both of these guys, Hananiah and Jeremiah, start off with, thus says the Lord. But what Jeremiah provides us with is the mechanism of discernment. How do you distinguish truth from a lie when the man up here using 
or abusing one or the other, this book says, thus says the Lord. And again, we are called very quickly to what, was, what is the pattern that God has always used. There's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. So what is the means that, by which God is used? And we find consistently that Jeremiah says, I can go back to my forefathers, and I can go back to your forefathers. And, and uh, it's interesting to go back to what was called liberal preaching years ago, like 100, 200 years ago, what they call liberal preaching back then, because you couldn't tolerate that, I don't think, uh, hardly, uh, let alone conser- what, is, what is conservative or um, very uh, uh, fundamental preaching way back in the day. Uh, you, you, wouldn't, you would resist it. You would say, why are you screaming at us? Why are you yelling? Why are you preaching down to us? You would use those comments, those declarations, because of the softness of our, our condition. We've been softened up. We've been worn down. That we couldn't really tolerate fundamental preaching like it was 150 years ago, 200 years ago, uh, 50 years ago, for that matter. Um, we have a difficult time swallowing it because of our culture and we would say those are just antics. But when we look historically, we find God has always worked through the preaching of the gospel against sin. Why did Jesus have enemies? Because he called them on their sin. And it wasn't um, the prostitute. It was the priest, scribe, the Pharisee, the religious types that he was preaching at. That's who he took on, or people who weren't in church. That's who he would have taken on. And he would have challenged them that they are the hypocrites, they are the whitewashed sepulchers that are white on the outside and dead on the inside. Um, look historically, go right through it. And Jeremiah asks, is a prophet sent to preach that you have peace no matter how you believe or how you behave? No, the prophet is sent to preach judgment. And if judgment isn't part of the message you're hearing, then you know you are hearing a false teacher. If he's just stroking your ego, you know that you're hearing error. There's another mechanism that God gave the prophets, and that is called a near-far, that he gives them near, near prophecies, that if they come true, that you can have confidence in their distant ones. And that's why many times there is something more recent that is to happen. And now this prophet comes along, he doesn't have a near prophecy. He says, oh, we got two years. And Jeremiah just looks at him and says, well, I have the word of the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. Um, God says, I'm taking you out. And the man doesn't live 60 days. He tells the people, you got two years, everything will be back to normal. And God says, you don't have two months. I'm not giving you two months. And Hananiah dies. Now, which prophet are you listening to? <laughs> exactly. The most authored or the most public, publicized, the most, no, I, I'm saying that wrong, the most published author in modern history is a gal named Mrs. White. And she, with uh, a man in Michigan started a group of people called, they're now called the Seventh-day Adventists, um, another cultic group. 
worship on Saturdays, emphasize the law. And uh, she is the most published woman in modern era, in all time. Um, so we have a lot to draw on. And fascinating enough, most of the things that she said were going to happen never did. Not even close. So, do you want to listen to that? Or the truth? And so we find this evidence that is given that God doesn't honor false prophets, that he raises them up um, to give you a choice. Fascinating. God raises them up, allows them to minister their lies, so that you are confronted with a choice of whether you're going to look to his word and by his spirit discern truth, or whether you're going to just gobble up the things that sound good to you and fit your preconceived ideas and, uh, and go skipping along merrily on your way right into the lake of fire. God gives you a choice. He allows them to work, but he also demonstrates his power through one and not through the other. And this we are called to examine and consider. And so, when we reject a preacher who we don't like because he makes us feel uncomfortable because he keeps talking about our sin, we are going from one place of judgment to another place of judgment that's worse. And that's why he says, you know, the false prophets should have thought a little bit. You know, you're going to lose what you got left if you don't change your message. You know, you've got, there are some, you got the truth remaining. It's still around. You have some opportunities. You have some access to the truth. There is some things left. But if you keep chasing after people that are going to tell you just what you want to hear instead of what God has always told his people, which is repent, then you're going to get worse. You're going to go from a yoke of wood to a yoke of iron. You're going to be going from having a few missing articles to having a temple destroyed. This is what you're going to do. You're going to lose whatever you have left of the goodness of God in your life. You have a little bit left, and maybe God has, has taken away some things out of your life because of your rebellion and, and you can sit there and blame God and say, I know better and I know how to fix these things. Or you can trust in the Lord and say, I'm going to take a few steps backwards and fall on my knees. I'm going to bend my knee before my creator and say, I've been doing it my way and not your way. And that's a hideous sin. And we need to examine our lives and look at those things that we live more like the world than like Christ and confess them, turn from them and seek the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength. And that's the only real solution. But you are being confronted today and I recognize it with this choice. But, re but realize that God here at the very end, this is the very, almost the very end of the existence of Judah. Zedekiah is the last this is the last. Babylon is going to come down and just destroy it all. But here at the very end, still, they had a false teacher and a true prophet. And they had to decide. God left it for them to decide. He exercised his power where he wanted. 
and demonstrated it. He didn't need to do that because they had already had the historical evidence of who was right, that there, is, there were no prophets of peace. They were all, Wachem said, it's not going to rain until I say so because you're a dirty, rotten sinner. And then he runs away because <laughs> God says, hide yourself. <laughs> They're going to kill you. This is what prophets said. And people didn't want to hear it, and they suffered for it. So we need to pray that God raises up men that will speak the truth, for it is certain that there has been raised up many who are speaking lies. And, don't go, and you can stack up a couple of dozen of false teachers against everyone that's going to speak a lie, and yes, in a democracy, they win. In a theocracy, you lose. Because if God is your king, let a thousand of them be stacked against one, and you will know the truth. It'll be the one. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us and for the power of your truth and for the what the the means that you've given us to discern truth from error, your spirit, your word, your people, and history itself of your working. And Lord, help us to be filled with discernment that we might not be caught or commit ourselves or even enjoy listening to the lies, though the content strokes us and makes us feel wonderful. Lord, help us to recognize that the damage that they do is just horrific. Lord, may we be ready to receive whatever yoke you choose to put on us in these days, that we might wear it and wear it with full submission and not be rebellious in our hearts and our lives. Knowing that to rebel against the authorities in our home, in our church, in our nation, world is to really rebel against you. And so guard our hearts today. And we might set a guard as well, for we thank you that you've given us a choice today of either accepting your truth or listening to the lies. And Lord, we thank you for your spirits guiding us into truth, for your word is truth. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.